The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Life in Exile, a study of the book of 1 Peter. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 1, 6-9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. My name is Jeff Miller. For those of you that that may not know me, may not be familiar with me, I am on staff at Sacred City as a church planning resident. We're in the book of uh, 1 Peter. Uh, As you heard read, we are in our third week now in our series, uh, Life in Exile, uh, and we're talking uh, about doing uh, uh, just living life in exile. And I think I might have forgotten to dismiss children. If there's any, what do we do, five to nine-year-olds or whatever. If you'd just like to go out, there's a classroom out back for you, so you you can go there. We've got people waiting and prepared to do that so uh, kids can be dismissed. So again, uh, we're in the book of 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 verses 6 through 9 today and we're going to look at that. So let me kind of begin with a little bit of a story today. So uh, I live over in Bettendorf, and uh, in the neighborhood I live in, there's a local elementary school named Grant Wood Elementary School. And what they've recently done uh, is they voted to begin building a basically a new Grant Wood on the um, grounds where the old Grant Wood was. So uh, out back of the school, there was a playground, soccer fields, baseball fields, some workout equipment, stuff like that. Uh, and what they did was overnight, literally, trucks rolled in, and they began bulldozing the whole thing, right? The playground went down, uh, the soccer field. Like there were chain link fences kind of all over the place, just in a garbled up mess. And we were like, what in the, this is like awesome, but like, geez, they just ripped it out like in no time. And uh, trucks rolled in there and, and dirt was all over the place. And then they got all that stuff kind of clean up and put in the back of trucks. And, but since that time of all that stuff getting knocked down, it seems like literally nothing has taken place. They, they went in in a fury and knocked all that down and now nothing. Like I drive by day after day and no work's been done. Nothing's been taking place. It, it really looks like an experiment and how to move dirt around back there, like behind the, the Grantwood Elementary School. Uh, like some days, something seems a little smoother and some places seem a little rough, but it took them virtually no time to destroy the things that were in the way of building them a new building. But then the actual construction, like the building up of the building has been terribly slow. Like in my mind, I think, well, just get after it, right? It's warm right now. It's not going to stay that way for long. Just get in and start building and start going. And we've seen, we've seen nothing. And, you know, as I was looking at that and, and noticing how this construction's taking place, I just kind of thought, you know, life's kind of like that sometimes where things kind of happen fast and furious and they get a, life gets us to a certain point and then all of a sudden just boom, things Things stop, maybe a road's closed off, maybe uh, the brakes are pressed of your life, so to speak, and, and you're really kind of thrown off course. And that can be really frustrating for us, and it can make us feel out of control. Uh, depending on the circumstance, it can make us feel betrayed, and, and oftentimes it's just really scary to not know really what's going on, or even in the midst of that, if it's ever going to end. 
right? As I look at the construction in my neighborhood, I begin to think, is this ever going to end? Will this ever be finished? Will this stuff ever be out of the way and we can kind of get back to life as normal? And when, that, when things like that happen in our life, when things uh, come up and when, when the, what we were working for maybe gets halted, we can begin to think the same thing. Is this ever going to end? Will things ever get back to normal? And I, and I believe that as some of us are sitting here this morning, you may have found yourself in a situation like that where life was just going and going and things were fine, the business was doing well, family life was going okay, and then it seemed like really overnight just something happened and and the brakes of life got pressed. You really, you kind of found yourself kind of lurching up toward the dashboard of life, like how in the world did we get here? Maybe your business stopped going the way that it was going. Maybe family life got a little bit more complicated. Maybe uh, there, there were just things that happened that got out of control. Maybe as you're sitting here today, your baby girl is getting ready to leave home. These are just the trials of life that, that come in and happen and, and cause us this anxiety and this fear and The good news in the midst of all that, though, is that God does not leave us to our own devices. God doesn't leave us, like, looking in from the outside, like, just keep questioning, what's going on? Is this ever going to end? God God really speaks in and, and helps us and speaks to the issue of trials that we face. And in our text this morning... That's what Peter is going to be doing. Peter is speaking into the issues of trials that we face as believer. And this text gives us a bit of insight into what's going on when trials come into our lives. What's going on when trials come into our lives? So if you have a Bible and you want to open up that up this morning, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, and we're going to look at these verses in more detail. You can pull it up on your phone, or there's a Bible underneath some of the seats in front of you, uh, and it'll also be on the screen for you. And, and as we move toward these four verses today, I pray that, that the Spirit would, would open our, the eyes of our mind this morning. I pray that that God would break down maybe some walls of hostility towards the gospel that we've built up, maybe in the midst of our trials today, because because that's a very real thing that can happen for you and I as as we're walking through things, we can become hardened, we can become uh, maybe overly anxious about them, and we can begin to shut down toward the gospel and go inward and just think, well, I have to do this on my own. This is something that I have to get through on my own. And we become maybe self-dependent in the midst of that. And I pray that the Spirit would break that down uh, this morning as we walk through this. So let's do this. Let me pray over us this morning, and then we'll begin to break these four verses down. Father, we uh, are thankful that you have called us in this morning. God, we're thankful to uh, be able to have a place to meet uh, without fear of, of being interrupted, without fear of uh, what the outside world is going to do to us. But God, you've provided us here uh, today with a safe place, with an air-conditioned place, with a place that we can uh, be free in our faith. And God, we pray that you would help us as we hear your word to know that just because our trials don't look like maybe people on the other side of the world's trials, but yet they still have the same effect in our life. God, they still drive us uh, to the same end. And we pray that as we look at our trials this morning and look at the trials of other believers that we would be calmed by you. God, that you would open the eyes of our minds, uh, that you would break down maybe some walls of hostility that we've built up in the midst of our trials. And God, as we leave here today, may we see you as more beautiful, more precious, uh, and more worthy of worship than what we thought you were when we came in. So God, today, as we just look at four simple verses, would you help us? to know you better through them. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. 
So let me read these verses over us again today and we'll, we'll get after it. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we get four verses this morning that kind of give us the tools necessary to endure through the trials of life. And as I say that uh, this morning, what I do not want you to hear is this is four easy steps to getting over your trials right? This passage of scripture this morning is not an infomercial uh, for us with some uh, booming guy behind a microphone saying, if you would just pay this, if you would just do this, your troubles will all be gone. And as we look at what's going on in this text this morning, really the, the, the absence of trials is not the goal this morning. Like if you're a believer here this morning and you're just trying to get out of trials, get out uh, from the things that are going, the tough things that are going on in your life, really what, what, how do I say this? That's kind of a distorted view of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not like how to live a trouble-free life. In fact, many times in the gospel, we're told that we will experience more troubles. We will experience more trials for claiming the name of Christ. You see, because we call ourselves Christians, there will be those around us that attempt and sometimes successfully silence us simply because of what we believe. There will be those around us that want us to be quiet or want us to uh, live more towards what they say is the right way to live life. And what Peter, here, uh, is, what Peter does here in this text is gives us reasons, not only why we can endure these trials, but how we can uh, rejoice in the midst of them. So it's not just enduring, it's rejoicing in the midst. So Peter's not saying this is how you escape your trials, but this is how you see God properly in the midst of your trials. See, it's not just getting out of them, it's seeing God correctly in the midst of them. You know, there may be a real truth for you here this morning is that, that if you aren't experiencing some sort of trials because of what you believe, then Christ may not, then your life with Christ may not actually be in line with the gospel. If you're not experiencing trials because, of, that you, because you claim the name of Christ, it may actually be that your life's not lining up with the gospel the way that, that, that you think it is. And if you don't want trials this morning, then Christianity may not be for you. Because scripture tells us that as believers, as Christians, that trials will come, that trials will happen. I've heard it said before that in life you are in a storm, on your way to a storm, or just coming out of a storm. Scripture tells us the story of a man named Job, which many of us are probably familiar with, but Job was a man that became familiar with trials uh, because of his faith seemingly overnight. Uh, and, and a story that, that could only play out in the pages of Scripture is the story of Job in which we see Satan stand before God and Satan tells God that Job only blesses God because God's placed a hedge of protection about him. And Satan goes on to say that if that hedge of protection was a move, removed from around Job's life, that Job would curse God to his face. And after some ground rules are laid out, God opens the door for trials to come in to Job's life. 
And overnight, Job literally loses his family, his livestock, and his livelihood. And in an instant, it says, Scripture says, all because he feared God. Because Job feared God. There's no other reason for it, but these things came into his life. Then a little while later, Job's health is attacked and Job holds tight to his faith. But as, as the trials go on, as time goes on, Job begins to lament. Job begins to uh, cry out in the midst of his trials. And some of his friends come to his aid. And I want us to listen to what to one of his friends had to say to him. Scripture says it this way in Job 5, 6 through 8. It says, For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. As for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. So Job's friend Eliphaz here reminds Job that no affliction comes by chance, but that it's according to God's will, it's according to God's counsel that this happens. Eliphaz tells, tells Job that his afflictions can't be chalked up just to bad luck or, or misfortune or, or any other type of thing, but that they come from God. See, the truth of what's being said here in Job is that man is born in sin, and then, therefore we are born to trouble. You see, there is nothing in this world that we are born to and can more truly call our own than sin and trouble. It follows us, it haunts us all the days of our life. But as we come to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6 this morning, it's Peter knowing this, that Peter begins to redirect these elect exiles back towards the gospel. Peter knows that sin and trouble are going to follow these people all the days of their life simply because of what they believe, and Peter begins to point them forward. See, in verse 6, Peter starts like this. He says, In this you rejoice. That should cause us to, that should cause us to stop and, and ask, what is the this? What's the this that's mentioned? Well, the this is God's great mercy in his election of sinners to salvation through Christ. The this is that God has chosen these people for this time. And because of what Christ has done, believers have a priceless inheritance, pure and undefiled, and that's protected by God himself for us. Now, that this came back in verse 4 and verse 5, and, he, and Peter's pointing them backwards to what they're actually looking forward to. That sounds kind of awkward, right? Peter's pointing them backwards to what's to come ahead. He's saying, listen, I already said this, and now that you know this, you can rejoice. You can have joy. You can know that this is coming. Peter is saying this, Peter is saying because of those things, so because of the priceless inheritance that's pure and undefiled that will be yours, you can rejoice because you are going to endure trials. Peter is assuring these believers as well as us of the future hope we have even in the midst of our current trials. You see, I think it's way easier to, to endure a trial if you know that there's an end date coming to it, right? As you're in the midst of something and you know that this will come to an end, it can help you get through that trial. And really, that's the thrust of the text that we're talking about this morning, that you know that there is an end date to this trial. 
And you can see forward to beyond this. Now, that does not mean that the trial will get easier. That does not mean that you may even survive the current trial. But you know that there is something coming on the other side of it. And we'll talk more about that in in just a few minutes. But Peter is pointing the people forward to what will be. And I want us to know in the middle of that, and and what Peter said and what I just said, is, is not telling us to be kind of flippant in the middle of our trials and saying, well, it'll pass. Like, just bring on the trials. It's going to come to an end. That's, that's a very flippant way of looking at it because you know as you've been in trials and through trials, that's not your attitude in the midst of it. Your attitude is not just like, well, this too shall pass. Like, that's cool. Looks great on a tattoo, right? Or maybe a, a, a board on your wall or a painting in the house, but it's hard when you're in the midst of the trial. So Peter's not being flippant about our attitude during the trials. In fact, at the end of verse six, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter's telling us that they are, these trials are not easy, and he pictures us in a state of grieving. Listen, to be grieved means to be distressed. It means to experience anguish, to experience sorrow. Trials are hard. Trials are not easy. Trials wear us down and wear us out. And again, cause us to go back and wonder, will this ever come to an end? So Peter's not saying be flippant and have kind of a bring it on attitude toward our trials. But he's saying for a little while. For a little while. Peter is saying this is not your permanent station in life. It will not always be this way. Life will not always be this hard. There will come a day when there will be no more trials, no more persecution, no more ostracism, and that gives the believer hope. One day, these things will be no more. And because we know that as believers, our joy can be found in what's coming. Our joy can be found in the days ahead. So in the midst of the grief of our trial, we can look past it to the glory that awaits Again, I don't say that this morning to, to be flippant or, or make it sound easy in the midst of your trial. And neither is Peter. But he is reminding us of the truth of the gospel that, that this will just be for a little while. Do you remember the scripture says that life is like a vapor. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. And Peter's reminding these people that this is not your permanent station. Now listen, as you look at these verses and the ones before it, what Peter is doing here with this group of people and us as well is he's constantly pushing them to look forward. He's constantly pushing them to look forward. Peter is not saying to these people, hey, remember the good old days when things weren't like this? Remember when you made maybe that profession of faith? Remember how easy things used to be? Remember back in the good old days? Peter's not pointing them backwards to what once was. Peter's pointing them forward to what will be. He's saying, that was a good day back there, but listen to how great this day is going to be. Listen to how things will be when we stand in the presence of our Lord. And Peter knows all too well that if you base your faith only on what has been or what you can see right now, that it's very easy for your faith to wane. It's very easy for your, your faith to feel weak in the face of adversity if you're only looking to the past and you're only looking to your circumstances right now. 
And you know, for those of you that are going through trials right now, that, that when your faith is suffering, or excuse me, when you're going through trials and, and you're suffering, it's easy to feel flimsy. It's easy to feel weak and fragile. But Peter is saying that our faith should be forward-looking and count on what's coming, not just what you can see today. Listen, if, if you're in the room, and maybe if you've ever run a marathon, if you've ever uh, experienced pregnancy, or if you've ever gone through some type of serious illness, you know that there isn't an easy way out solution to any of those problems, right? If you're in the middle of a marathon, and you're in the middle of a pregnancy, or you're in the middle of some serious illness, there's no easy way out solution. You can't just quit in the middle of those things. You have to keep going, and it's looking forward to, to, to what's going to happen at the end that sustains you in the middle of the event, right? If you're in the marathon, you're thinking, I cannot wait to cross that finish line. This will be great. I'll get the medal and the shiny silver blanket before I pass out, and it'll be great, right? I'll get some Gatorade and some water or whatever else they, they, they give at the end of the finish line, but you're looking forward to crossing that finish line. Those of you that have, that have experienced pregnancy, you're waiting to hear that little baby boy or little baby girl cry and watch him or her grow. See, there's no easy way out in the middle. There, there, there's just not. You're looking forward to the day when you will experience life with that child. And I would add in the middle of that, for those of us that have experienced the loss of a child, we look forward to the day that we will be reunited with that child. We look forward to that day that we would get to see him or her and hold him or her for the first time. We look forward. For those that have faced some type of serious illness or are walking with somebody who's facing a serious illness, you know the desired outcome is hearing that doctor say, cancer-free. You desire to hear that doctor to say that you are well. See, it's looking forward that pulls us and sustains us through those events. And that's what Peter's saying about our faith as well. That it's looking forward to the end of what will come. It's looking forward to what our faith will bring. You see, we can't just look at the past about the way things were or the present to only see what's right now. But we have to look to the future where Jesus is to, see, to get this hope, to get this joy in the midst of it. You see, Peter goes on in verse 7 to say, not only does our joy in what is to come point us beyond our grief, but our joy in our faith is actually strengthened through the very sufferings we endure. Look at verse 7. He says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you might notice that I took the middle part out of that verse there. And what Peter does in that middle part of the verse is gives us a picture of exactly how this is going to happen. So read the outside, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Peter here in the middle of that is telling us the how. More precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. So our faith, which by the way is how we are guarded by God's power, our faith like gold must pass, pass through the furnace. If you've ever watched some type of documentary or maybe even just been on a gold dig yourself, you, you see people go out and they've got their, their shovels and all the stuff they need to collect gold and they go out and they, they start digging and they, they have their uh, buckets with the little screen mesh things in the bottom and they're sifting out rocks and sand and all this and, and they're, they're desperately looking for gold and, and you know that once they strike gold, they have in fact struck gold. 
But as you first see it come out of the ground, it doesn't look like something that you would necessarily be proud of, right? You just see maybe like a, a rock that, that is kind of gold, right? It's misshapen. It's kind of ugly, really. And, and you, as you look at it, you're like, well, it's not really much to that, but okay. Well, what those people do is once they dig that gold out of the ground that's dirty and often impure, is they go and they put it in what we would call a crucible, and they put that little gold chunk in a little bucket and they light a fire underneath that bucket and what begins to happen is that gold begins to heat up and it begins to bubble and it begins to melt. And what we see in the midst of that is, is all these things, all these impurities begin to rise to the top of that gold. And what the goldsmith will do is he'll come in and he'll kind of scoop off that gunk off the top. And he'll begin to shape that gold and he'll begin to process that gold and he'll begin to shape it into something that's suitable to be worn on your finger or, or a, a necklace around your neck or earrings on, in your ears or a bracelet or whatever other way you want to wear it or fashion it around your house. The goldsmith comes in and through this process of refinement cleans it up and makes it suitable for everyday use, makes it suitable uh, for you to have on yourself. See, what happens is the goldsmith heats it up, melts out the impurities, and then shapes it into something that it was intended to be. You see, Peter is saying that the same thing needs to happen to our faith. That as you and I are going through trials, our faith is pictured in that gold. That at first, it may not be really all that pretty. It may not really be all that refined. You could say it's, it's not fully developed or it's complicated, or maybe it's just not very mature. And Peter's saying, when we're going through these trials of our faith and when we're going through the things that we're going through, that what God is doing is, is a refining process in our life. That as you and I are heated up, that the impurities begin to bubble to the top of our life. And God, as our goldsmith, is there waiting to scoop the impurities off the top and make you and I more precious and make our, our faith more valuable than it once was. As you're sitting here today and you think about your faith when you first came to know Christ, for most, of it was, for most of us it was probably a very simple faith. We didn't really know all that much about God and we really didn't know all that much about the Bible, but as we've grown and as we've been through some things, it grows deeper and more precious than it once was. If you've ever sat by the bedside of an older man or an older woman that's coming to the end of their life and they're a believer, they tell you story after story after story of how God came in and how God directed this path and how God rescued. And as you sit by their bedside, you'll notice that you just begin to get silent and just listen to this person who's mature in their faith share all that God's done. A person who in the midst of all these trials could have chosen to run away or find some easy way out or pass it to the side but said, no, it's worth it. I've seen God work. I've seen what God can do. And not only do we see that person's faith as something more beautiful than it once was, it encourages our faith all the more. You see, that's what trials do to our faith. They burn away our self-dependence. They burn away our self-confidence and they drive us toward our Savior. Because you know that as you are in the midst of your trials and the things that you are up against, that the last thing that you and I want to do is admit maybe weakness in the midst of that. Oftentimes our go-to is, I got this, 
We can handle this. We can take on another thing. We'll fight through it. We can get by and we become more self-confident. And, and maybe we make it through one time or a couple times, right? And under our own strength and our own ability. And we begin to think, I got this. I'm doing all right. And then yet for some reason, the fire keeps getting hotter and it keeps getting hotter and it keeps getting hotter. And we just keep seeing more things bubble up to the top. And all the while, God's there waiting to scoop those impurities off the top. Remember, the fire doesn't destroy the gold. It merely brings to the surface the impurities. The goldsmith's job is not to, to take that gold and just throw it on the ground. The goldsmith is shaping it and refining it and making it into something that it was not before. You see, we have a goldsmith in God that desires for his children to be more pure, more dependent upon him. We have a goldsmith who desires to make us brighter shining than the things of this world. And when this takes place, the result is praise and glory and honor to God. Do you see that? In the text here, notice who gets credit for your faith being refined. Notice who gets credit for your deeper dependence. Notice who gets credit for your genuine faith. It's the same person that made your faith possible, and it's the same person that gets credit for the trial. It's God himself. That it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. You see, in this world, God receives the praise and the glory and the honor for your faith. But there will also come a day when we, Scripture says, we will receive praise and glory and honor. The day we meet Christ face to face. See, Scripture says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Peter, in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, in verse 4, will say, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the parable in Matthew 25, 34, uh, there, Peter, well, not Peter, but in Matthew 25, 34, it talks about a time when, when we will be welcomed into eternity and hear, Come, you who are blessed. See, Peter points to when we will receive and when we see and receive and enjoy the reward of our faith. Peter's talking about a time when we stand face to face with God and we actually hear God give praise and glory and honor to us as the believer to say, well done, come you who are blessed. But it will only last for but a moment. Revelation 4.10 gives us a picture of the throne in heaven and the scene that takes place around it and it says this, it says, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated at the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns down before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were, and were created. So see, as great as it will be to hear, well done, and, and come you who are blessed, we won't be able but to but to we won't be able to help but to cast our crowns at the feet of the one who has created and sustained us all the days of our life and that's where peter heads next in his letter in verses 8 through 9 he reflects on the love uh, these people already have for christ and it's this love that makes them ready to suffer for bearing the name of christ verse 8 it says though though you have not seen him you love him. 
You have to remember something about Peter as we're looking through here. Peter walked with the Lord. Peter talked with the Lord. Peter ate meals with him. Peter, no doubt, could easily bring into the back of his mind, he could call into, in, into uh, memory times that he walked and spent time with Jesus. Maybe it was the time that Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Maybe it was the time that he saw Jesus walking on water and went out to meet him. Maybe it was the time when Peter was in the garden and, and the, they were trying to take Jesus away and, and Peter chopped that dude's ear off. Maybe, maybe Peter is remembering those things. Maybe, Jesus, maybe Peter can readily remind and, and still remember when Jesus was talking with him on the seashore after his resurrection and asking Peter, do you love me? Peter's walked with him and seen that. Peter had seen Jesus and loved him, but these people here that Peter's talking to, these scattered uh, exiles, these persecuted believers, they'd never walked side by side with Jesus. They'd never seen Jesus face to face. All they have is Peter and the other apostles' testimony, and apparently for them, it was enough. Through Peter's testimony, they have learned what Jesus said and what he did, and through the power of the Spirit, their hearts have been made alive in Christ. And it's been enough for them. And Peter's saying, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Do you remember when the resurrected Jesus came back and appeared before the disciples? Thomas was missing from that situation, right? And as the disciples are telling Thomas about what happened, Thomas says, I'm not going to believe until I can put my hand in the wound, until I can touch the scars in his side and and the the wounds in his hands. And and then about a week later after that, uh, Jesus appears again and stands before Thomas. And Thomas, just at the seeing of Jesus, repents and confesses, my Lord and my God. And then after Thomas does that, Jesus goes on to say, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. See, right there, Jesus is looking past Thomas and he sees these dispersed believers that Peter's talking to. Jesus looks past Thomas and sees us in the midst of this. And it's their belief without seeing and it's our belief without seeing that causes what's talked about at the end of verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. You see, the joy that they are expressing is inexpressible because it comes from God and it defies perfect human expression. You see, they could try to put it into words, but they're just going to be talking all day long about it. They could try to put it in some type of interpretive dance, but they're going to be dancing forever just to try to explain what they've seen and what they've experienced and what they've felt here. It's inexpressible. And and think about that for a minute. If you could perfectly explain the joy that comes from being a believer, if it was really perfectly expressible, would it be enough? Never. Never. Never, it's inexhaustible, the joy that comes from being a believer. It's inexhaustible, it's inexpressible, this text says. We cannot talk about it enough. We cannot hear about it enough. There are not enough words or songs or dancing that will ever be enough to express it. And that's good news for you and I. That means that we cannot run out of opportunities. We can't run out of ways to express it and explain it to the people we come in contact with. It should look inexpressible to the people that you and I are coming in contact with. They should not be able to explain the joy that you and I have as we are walking through this life. As we're walking through our trials and suffering, the world around us should not be able to explain the joy that we have. 
It should be weird. It should be different. You see, this joy rests on confidence in God's word and his continuing direction for his children. You see, in these trials, uh, we are, as verse 9 says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You see, what is the outcome of our faith? We'll remember all the way back to verse 4. The outcome of our faith, it says, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. The outcome of our faith is that imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance that you and I are keeping our eye on, that you and I are looking forward to. This is the salvation our souls desire. It's a renewal of the whole person. It's, and it's a renewal of the whole world. Remember, Jesus suffered the ultimate trial on our behalf so we could experience this. So we could experience the total salvation of our souls one day. See, Jesus went to the cross to bear your sin and my sin, rescuing us from the trial that we truly deserved. Jesus didn't have to step in for us, but he stepped into this trial and suffered on our behalf. And because Christ suffered, our suffering now has a redemptive purpose. Our suffering now means something. Our suffering now reminds us of the one who will rescue us from our ultimate suffering. Our trials point us to the one who, who went through the trial, suffered to death for it, and then rose again. See, now in the midst of our trials, we can be reminded that one day we will have total salvation because of what Jesus has done. You see, we as believers today live in the already and not yet of salvation. You see, our sin has been forgiven in Christ already, but we have not yet fully experienced full salvation. That is the total removal for, of sin from our bodies and this earth. And that's why in the midst of our trials, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Fixed on what Jesus has already done and looking forward to one day what will be. Looking forward to that inheritance in the midst of our trial. If you remember where we started this morning, I started telling you about the school that's being built behind the school that's already there in my neighborhood. And right now it just looks like an experiment and them moving around dirt. But they are building up the building. They are building up something there that, that I cannot yet imagine, that I cannot yet see. And as you and I are sitting here today, I believe that God is doing the same thing in my life and in your life in the midst of our trials. Though it may look like he's just moving around kind of dirt piles in our life right now, we are being built up according to, to, to his glory and his praise and his honor. We are being built up. And we can, we can, be, we can rest in the midst of knowing that we are being refined. We are being prepared for glory this morning in the midst of our trials. Keep your eyes on the glory that's coming. I want you to listen to the third and fourth stanzas this morning from the old famous hymn, How Great Thou Art. Maybe close your eyes this morning and, and listen as this is read over you. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior, 
God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Listen, believers, this morning, this is our song. This is our chorus in the midst of these momentary trials. One day, after we have been grieved for just a little while, tested and endured these trials of our faith, we will stand before God, having received the the salvation of our souls, and proclaim, proclaim fully and finally our inexpressible joy before the Lord and proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Let me pray over us this morning. Father, though we are here this morning and going through many trials and suffering, some of us because we've claimed the name of Christ at our business, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our home, God, would you help us to stay focused on you? Would you help us to keep looking forward to the praise and the honor and the glory that both you and, and we will receive one day. God, we pray that, that though this fire is hot right now, God, we, we would trust that you are raising and boiling to the top the impurities of our life, not because you desire to, to kill us in some form or fashion, but God, because you desire to shape us and mold us into a better image of your son. God, today as we are here, may we walk through these trials, though we're grieved by them, may we walk through them with this joy that's inexpressible because we know what's coming. We know that this is not our permanent state and our permanent condition. God, as these trials seem hard and harsh right now, would you help us to know that there is coming a day when they will be no more. God, now as we take your body this morning and take the cup this morning, may we be reminded of what Christ came to do for that to be a reality, for us to know that there is coming a day when there will be no more trials, when there will be no more persecution, there will be no more ostracism, and we stand face to face with our Lord and our Savior. God, today may we be reminded of the good news of the gospel, that you came for us and died for us and offered us redemption through your son. And God, today, if there's any of us here in the room who have not placed our trust and our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, may today be that day when we proclaim the name of Christ over our life. God, may your spirit come into us and awaken us to our need for the gospel in the midst of the suffering we experience in this world. We pray these things in your son's name this morning. Amen.